We are just one month away from the start of the 2024 season. So here on Snakes on the Diamond, we're going to talk about the Diamondbacks farm system. We're going to talk about prospects expected to make an impact in 2024. Go over the upcoming international signings, which should be finalized today. Breakout candidates in the D-backs farm system that can make a huge jump going into 2025. And finally, ending with projecting the Diamondbacks farm system and what it could look like at the start of the 2025 season. So thanks everyone for joining the Snakes on the Diamond Snakes on the Diamond podcast. I am your host Mike McDermott. I am writer for Fan Nation's Inside the Diamondbacks, which you can find at si.com/mlb/diamondbacks. And we'll put that in the band. We'll put that here on the screen for you to see. Make sure to check us out there. We do a lot of uh, cover breaking news. The we do some analysis that includes prospects. It's going to be the topic of today's show. And you can follow me at Twitter at Michael McDMLB. So joining me today to talk about the D-backs farm system is Wes Beyer from AZ Snake Pit. So Wes, are you excited to discuss the D-backs farm system prospects and what the future could hold? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a minute since we've you know, really talked about prospects and broken down the farm system. So, I mean, there's been so, you know, a lot of promotions, a lot of changes. There's some young guys coming up. Uh, these uh, two the two projected international signings should uh, they should be immediately. I know you have one of them would be in your top ten, and the other one would be in the top twenty. Um, I you know there's a lot to talk about, and I, I guess the, as far as that goes, um, but good good time to talk about it in January when there's not not much going on in baseball. We're still waiting on Scott Boris still to kind of dictate Wait. the market now that the the Japanese players have dictated the market. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the doldrums. We're stuck waiting. So might yeah, as well. So, yeah, we thank you for listening in, watching the snakes and diamond podcast. We cover different pros- uh, topics about the Arizona diamondbacks going from the Dominican summer leagues to the major leagues. If you're watching here on YouTube, make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a like and comment down below, which prospect, other than Jordan Lawler will make the most impact on the 2024 Diamondbacks. Let us know. So rolling into Jake, the Jacob Steinmetz. <laughs> that's, that's I'm gonna go with. Someone's going to comment Jacob Steinmetz. That's, that's really like, I, I think he could, he could be a real sleeper. Uh, you know, I know some people are real fans of him. I'm rooting for him. He's got a great story. We're, we're going to go with Jacob Steinmetz. Yeah, you never know how a pitching prospect will develop. Sometimes it, it's like slow, 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 and all of a sudden it clicks. Yeah. So, rolling into the prospects to make an impact in 2024, do you have Jordan Lawler making the Diamondbacks opening day roster now that they've made a move at the position, signing Kevin Newman <clears throat> to a one-year minor league free agent deal that sh- with an opt-out for both opening day and June 15th? Yeah, I don't think Kevin Newman's going to make a huge impact. The fact that it's a minor league deal with an opt-out says to me that he's probably, uh, like, the the only way I can really see Newman making the roster over Lawler is if Lawler has a really bad spring and, uh, or injuries, of course. Someone else gets injured in the middle infield. Of course, you give Newman a shot. Uh, He's probably a better option than, like, you know, uh, some of, the other players we have, I don't think he's a better option than Jordan Lawler. I mean, this is a guy who has never uh, he he's had one uh, above average for his league season, 
and that was in like uh that was that was five years ago and uh it's it's not really i don't i don't really see him doing much uh for the Diamondbacks. so jordan lawler i know a lot of people are down on him over you know and basically you know riding he wrote, wrote the bench he, he wasn't really given the opportunity to to progress uh you know his major league career i mean that was more uh called up for the experience and having like the best option available if they needed him in case there was another injury um but like i i really i'm not down at him all i think jordan waller uh given a good spring he's gonna he's gonna start as the uh, on the team absolutely so yeah the way that currently plays out i expect newman to unless he completely struggles in spring training the D-backs may go with a Perdomo Newman platoon at shortstop, which isn't much. Obviously, Perdomo, obviously Newman's in there to cover the left-hand side of the platoon, like Nick Ahmed was supposed to last year. You go with the, because uh, Newman has a little bit better numbers against left-hand pitching, whereas Perdomo does. Where watch Perdomo, he struggles to get the ball out of the infield against left-handed pitching. You go with that, and you have Lawler get every day at bats in Reno. So because when you call up Lawler just to be the shortstop, you want him playing close to an yeah. everyday basis and if he's not ready yeah. for that there's no point yeah if he, that's, if he that's have the, the whole impetus that, that's the main yeah. thing you know so like you you want to see jordan lawler playing every day if that can't happen at the major league level then yeah that, that that's a possibility um i know both of us prefer uh lawler as the the give him you know give him the everyday shortstop job have uh perdomo back him up in second base um I know you probably would prefer that too. I know I do. Long term, I would prefer that. But yeah. Jordan Lawler's not. I mean, when you look at Jordan Lawler's 2023 season, he struggled once he got yeah. called up. It wasn't like a case where they just rode him on the bench. It was a case where they wanted it to work, but it just didn't work. Yeah. I The way I, I look at that is that uh, he also really struggled to start out the year in Reno. And I, I think that's the um, case. Amarillo. Of, I don't think he struggled for a single at bat in Reno. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. It was Amarillo, but like he seems to, he does seem to struggle a little bit to start the year out uh, and uh, at new levels. I, I, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't make the adjustments he needs at least in spring training if he hasn't already made the adjustments. Uh, and he ends up with the the starting shortstop job. I would be really, um, I, I would be more surprised. I would be more surprised if he starts the year in the minors than if he wins the everyday starting starting shortstop job. Yeah, and we talked about it in the la- Jack and I talked about this on the last it, uh, video. If you can't, it, one option when this was before the Newman signing, this is like hours before the Newman signing. I actually published the video the same day it broke. But uh, obviously, with Perdomo and Newman, you kind of have an idea what you have. Jordan Lawler, you're not 100% sure because the sample size is pretty low. But yeah, you look at the. And you look at. Uh, in Jordan Lawler's case, the bad ball metrics weren't very good. He was struggling to drive the ball, hit it out of the infield. Yeah. And that's something you don't want to necessarily see in your lineup. And that's lineup moving forward. And they want to make sure that he's doing that in Reno before they call him up to the big leagues is my guess. That's, that's a good possibility. I, I mean, that, that if that's the, I mean, if a team does that, and it seems like that would be something that they're, that, that they're sticking with a plan for him. Um, it's not, you know, it, 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 it seemed very, like, he did seem overmatched. I think if the team wasn't in a playoff race, um, 
Yeah, he would have gotten the you know, bats. They, he would have gotten the at bats. That's that's, that's, that's that's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't situation where you know they uh, we're in a playoff race and we went on a World Series like an unlikely World Series run, and that's not um, that probably that was not and uh, really like something that they foresaw per se. So um, I'm I you know yeah I think that could happen. That probably is more likely than than what I'm saying. I I would be surprised though. Yeah, and I was going to say, Jordan Lawler's last at bat in that World Series game for you, even though the game was over, it was uh, pretty impressive. He went from 0-2 to a walk, and that led to a ninth-inning rally that almost, that forced the Rangers to burn their closer that night. Yeah, that's that shows a lot of maturity as a hitter that, like, you know, and I think he – I would hope that he has learned a whole lot from that experience, and I think he's a better player for it because, I mean, it, it one, it helps build – just overall for the team's, you know, bigger picture – it helps build cohesiveness with the team of having, you know, a guy who they plan on being there long-term be there, you know, from the beginning of their first, you know, real playoff run as a team. Yeah. Cause Lawler's probably the third most important player on that 40 man ro- roster. If you look at the long-term and I'm talking like post 2025 long-term. Yeah. Cause then you got Carol and you also have fought as key, key guys. Obviously Carol's face of the franchise and fought your most successful pitching prospect development under this current, Front office. Moreno. Yeah, and also Moreno, too. I forgot. He's got yeah, five years. Yeah. yeah. He'll I also be, want to keep got, the got, players. God got willing, yeah. He'll be he'll be around for a while. I mean, yeah, I would I would say the same thing. He's an important player. And it's like that was good. It's very good to, to, for them to give him that experience. Um I'm I'm sure I see I, I know he's been uh him and Justin Turner are the same agent, so that's why they were spending time together. Um Yeah, there's there's that, no there's no fire to that smoke. There's no fire to that smoke. So uh, I don't know what he's been doing this offseason, but at least he's hanging out with other, you know, MLB hitters and learning from, you know, from his colleagues. So going beyond Lawler, which other prospects do you figure will make the most, the biggest impact on the D-backs 2024 season? Um, I mean, if we're going to exclude Chaconi and Jarvis, uh, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to say. I mean, I, Andrew Saul Frank has a really exciting arm that, you know, be able to contribute in the bullpen. I, uh, I think it's more than likely that Blake Walson will at least appear on the major league roster at some point this season. I don't know what we really have in him. I just think that it's, it's very likely that uh, he's a guy that will be called up. Um, so yeah, I'm going to interject here. So if we talk about the start and how would Blake Walson appear on the roster, obviously Hazen kind of defined the pitching death you have, your top four of Gallon, Kelly, Rodriguez fought. But uh-huh. then uh, when Hazen was asked about this, when they introduced Rodriguez back in des- about a month ago, he mentioned Tommy Henry first and then Ryan Nelson. So that's your fifth and your sixth starter. If yeah. we read between the lines. And then obviously you have Slade Ciccone, Bryce Jarvis in the mix as well. So there. So Blake Walson to me entering the season is their ninth starter. Yeah, that's that's about, that's about right, and I, I it's one of those things that I think that uh, there's going to be a bullpen game. There's either you're going to need a live arm at some point. He is very likely to be one of the live arms to be called up. Um, I'm not as as far as I'm I'm saying he's going to contribute as as a live arm to give other arms a rest. So yeah, and guys are going to guys are going to get injured. You're not you're going you need nine to ten starting pitchers to get through a season. I, I think Sometimes human Lynn is probably is is probably more likely to pa- like pass. He's more likely to pass him on the on you know that depth chart there. If he's called up, he actually I wouldn't be surprised if in September maybe. 
yeah, I would I would not be surprised if Walston uh, does a lot better converted to a reliever. I'm, I don't think he's really a starting pitcher, but uh, that seems a more likely route for him to contribute. Um, Jorge Perosa is a as a guy who's been around forever, who is really like this like an ideal kind of fourth fifth outfielder. Um, does not have much, if at all, power. He's never going to hit more than 15 home runs in the major leagues. Um, but he can steal 20 bases, give good defense. Uh, he's a guy that can see them trying out, especially if uh, you know you don't. Yeah. Dominic Fletcher doesn't take off, or Kev, uh, Jake McCarthy has issues. I mean, still, uh, that's a possibility too. Or an injury, because obviously yeah. the Diamondbacks are going to play. Uh, Gurriel's going to play 90 games, 90 to 100 games in, the, in left field. Carroll's going to cover the other 50 to 60, cover the rest of the the rest of those starts. And then you have uh, Alec Thomas is going to be a, your center fielder for 120 games, most likely. And then you have uh, Corbin Carroll splitting time in all three positions. I almost say almost 50, almost equally 50, 50, 50. In terms of yeah, starts. Yeah, so he's, he's a guy that could, could you know, he's very likely to, to, to contribute to the major league level next, next season just yeah. because there's we've gone through that i if if blaze alexander is ever going to contribute to the time of backs it's going to be this season i don't think i think he's passing the depth charts uh he's already been passed already. by lawler by lawler yeah. he's he's really one of those things if blaze alexander is getting major league time then something's gone very wrong somebody's gotten hurt yeah so yeah like something's gone yeah something's gone hurt and uh, there's been a lot of ineffectiveness, and they're like, well, let's just give him a shot. And I don't or think the that's going to happen. Or the glass half full approach, Blaze Alexander has figured out how to control his strikeouts. Yeah. Um, I, I may, maybe, uh, I don't, I don't think, I don't really see Vukovic or any of the other kind of tear down of players and prospects mm-hmm. really making a, an impact in next season. Yeah, Hazen mentioned that it's hard to evaluate with the environments of Emerald and Reno. It's tough to evaluate hitters that don't have a strong basis in plate discipline. That's kind of why where you rank maybe Barossa higher than Vukovic. Although I have yeah. neck and neck, I think having the same tier. They're they're about the same. Um, I, the only, I mean, maybe you know, a reliever like uh, trying like there's a whole bunch of guys that Martinez is obviously yeah, a big yeah. name. He could figure it out. That's one of those things. Like if he clicks, he clicks. He could be a real uh, asset out of the bullpen. Throw, you know, he throws like a hundred miles per hour. He's one of the best arms in, in the system. Um, one of the best arms in the game in terms of raw. Yeah, velocity, yeah, raw power. I, that, yeah, he's, he's raw the, stuff. Yeah, he's he's a guy. Like if it clicks, it clicks, and he, you know, I can see him. It's one of those things you can't you can't really project or predict that. Yeah. Martinez develops enough control to stay on the major league roster. He could honestly, I don't even know what he could do. I mean, obviously closer is his ceiling. And there's a young arm. He can get you more than three outs. And that's kind of where we're go- kind yeah. of just looking at what we have. Also, uh, Andrew Saul, Frank, I think is the guy beyond law that has the best chance of making the opening day roster. We've seen what he can do in a short sample, some good, some bad, Obviously, uh, still has some work to do, but talking about a lefty that miss a lefty that can miss bats with two different pitches, and I think uh, the experience of facing Schwarber and Harper in a playoff series, being that guy, is also going to help him. Is going to make him better, in my opinion. 
Because that's basically the top the two left. And those are two lefties that can slug it slug better than anyone else, in my opinion. There are Coasters. there are some other there are some other names that I think that uh, they they could fly through the system that that could contribute in relief. But we're going to get into those later. So uh, that that's really. Uh, that would yeah, take those the bullpen guys, really. That, the bullpen would be have to be really awful to, for those three guys to end up uh, in the bullpen by happen. the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, those guys haven't gone through Amarillo and Reno yet, particularly. I I would not be surprised. They right. mowed them down. So we're looking. So we're going to transition over from the present to the future. So. For this year's January 15th International Prospect Signings, the Dimebacks are expected to sign uh, outfielder Adriel Rodney and Belfi Rivera, both of which rank in the top 25 on both uh, MLB and Fangraph's top prospects for this international class. Rodney, in particular, is the most intriguing prospect expected to sign for $1.85 million dollars. Uh, I think Rivera's project is expected to sign for 1.8 million. Uh, Rodney obviously is the higher ceiling guy because the raw power, the slightly better approach than some of the other outfielders with a similar tool set and a projectable body. Dimebacks have been kind of targeting this type of player for the last two or three years, in my opinion. Well, if not longer, this is uh, they're very much in the mold of players they've drafted and signed. So, I mean, it's signed in the international, you know, class and the ones that they've in, in the, you know, the June draft or, you know, the, the amateur draft rather. Um, yeah, this is very much like they, their comps. You had mentioned uh, Christian Robinson, like the, the, his initial uh, kind of projection of what they were saying. It's very similar kind of, you know, same mold of a player, five tool, power, speed, uh, contact, uh, play discipline, all that. And then, uh, the other, uh, Rivera seems more like a, an Alec Thomas, uh, Jorge Barroso kind of defensive first kind of guy. Yeah. And I look at Rodney, he's got a very, uh, basic looking swing. There's not, there's not a lot of moving parts. He just puts his foot up, puts his, put, puts his foot up, put down kind of like Walker. It's just like, although I think Walker has a little bit more, of a leg kick than Rodney. Rodney just sticks, lifts his foot and then puts it down immediately. But the ball jumps off the bat, so it's like it's not going to necessarily what uh, it's going to come down to plate discipline, I think, and pitch recognition for Rodney to develop as a hitter. I don't think the swing will necessarily itself will necessarily be a problem. However, on the flip side with Rivera, there's a lot I don't like. When I was watching the swing, there's a little bit of a hitch in there when he loads, kind of where the hands come down, and then they come back up, and then he's trying to. Sl- and I think he's trying to swing for power. You see a pretty steep upper, a pretty steep swing path. Whereas with uh, Rodney, it's not necessarily as much. It's a much more level looking swing. It's not. There's not much of a steep bat path in that one. That's kind of the difference I see with the two. I actually like in their skill set. So, for example, I compare Rodney to uh, Christian Robinson with better plate discipline, and then Rodney. I compare. I mean Rivera. I compare a lot to Alec Thomas. Similar size and issues with the swing path. They're both really young. That's the real thing. That like I, I, I've never really paid that much attention to the the international 
signing period because these are guys that are all like they're, they're 16 year olds 17 year olds um it seems like there's some gamesmanship of it going on in the last few years yeah, there's, there's, a- you know guy with uh what's his name uh uh, uh salas with the pod race where he's like yeah, from he grew up in the united states he moved to venezuela because his dad's from there and then he got you know signed as a 16 year old he's like well Black probably be a, yeah he'll probably be in the major leagues by like before he's 20 if i'm i'm you know that's the kind of thing that we're seeing and they're really much taking advantage of that so now i think it's more important than ever it's ever been um and then of course you know you have, you have guys like if, if roki sasaki uh was posted is Sasaki's never gonna was, be subjected to the to that particular but in the hypothetical if a guy like that gets posted early uh they and they don't have the clause in their contract under the current rules like that money they'd be under the international signing bonus rules so you'll never see guys like that posted unless they have a, an out like a clause in their contract like Shohei did that allow them to get more money so really it's mostly latin american players um and that's that's pretty much it um I mean, once in a while you get guys from other countries but they're all really young so these uh Avril, unless they fly through the system and they're you know like juan soto level prospect where they you know are up before they're you know 19. uh it's very unlikely we see these guys in the next you know I mean, what, what is the ETA on, on, on both these players? I have 2029 for both of them. Okay. So yeah, it, that is quite a ways off. That's five years from now. That's a very reasonable timeline too. So uh, but, to, expect, oh yeah, but, to expect sooner than that is insane. By the way, I just pulled up the Nationals top prospects from 2018. Juan Soto is not even the first pros- top prospect. Yeah. But they, yeah, did, give him a six, but they did give him a, six, a 70 hit and a 65 power. Oh, he was very, he was a very projectable player. I mean, there's a lot of like scouts either loved him or they didn't see him and get why they, why he was hyped. Cause I heard uh, hype from Juan Soto, like when he was an international prospect, seriously. <laughs> yeah. At the, least, the, at least they first had Victor hand. Robles rated ahead of Juan Soto. God, that's, uh, that's, this is why I always point out that like, it, it's honestly like, who knows? It's all bullshit. If the guy's happen. got a strong hit tool and he's, I mean, I, I feel like sometimes when the guys rank too high and they, plus it's, we didn't, is we thought too much about the loud tools and not the ones that are important, important. to success. Yeah. If you can't hit, it doesn't matter what you can do with what else you can do on a baseball field. Yeah, exactly. Like it was the biggest example is uh, Billy Hamilton. Like dude has some, like the, yeah. the best wheels I've ever, like some of the best base dealing skills. Oh, he knew how to weaponize it too. And he, yeah, no, he hundred percent is he had for his speed tool. He weaponized it better than anyone I've seen other than maybe Ricky Henderson. And that's impressive. But see, the thing is, I that, think he was better than Henderson too. Yeah, no, yeah, probably. I, but, but Ricky Henderson, Henderson also knew how to get on base. Yeah, he could he could draw walks and hits and occasionally hit a home run. He had it was, it was more that was his least important like tool set. Ricky Henderson wouldn't be able to steal uh, fifteen hundred fourteen hundred bases uh, without that tool set. So yeah, you're right. That's the, that's the thing. There's a lot of guys who've been projected like, oh, this guy could steal 150, 100, 100 stolen bases in the major leagues, and it's like uh, he never is gonna he's not gonna get reach base hundred. No times. one no one's gonna attempt hundred steals. 
should have no power. I mean, Billy, Ham- I mean, Billy Hamilton was as good a player as you could get for a guy that got made outs more than 70% of the time. Well, what you need up? is a guy with an insane hit tool who has no power and really good play discipline with like max speed and uh, really, you know, ways to weaponize his speed. That's the only way I can really see it now. And there really that, isn't that player, such a player that, right now. That's like such a random like profile for a player because it's it's never gonna be left alone. You know, someone's gonna be like, well, if he just is swinging just a little bit, uh, you know, he can tap into some of that power that from his that he should have, and it's just not it's just not the way players are developed these days. But uh, looking like uh, going back into to Radney is he's uh, he's really like that's. So that's uh, I, I'm kind of impressed at the ranking. Like he's pretty highly ranked. I mean, I, yeah, Fangraphs has him as high as three. MLB has him at ten. Yeah, that's so a top ten prospect at the very least in there. You know, this signing period. So that's that's promising. I think that really helps. You know, the the Diamondbacks need to make more uh, investments. I mean, they're actually they've been pretty good about investing in in uh, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela. Uh, you know. Yeah, they, got, they, I feel I, like they've made a much more notable impact. There's a lot more prospects that are coming internationally now. Yeah. Whereas you look like two, three it, years ago, most of their draft, most of their prospects were dra- from the draft. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels like they're making much more of uh, you know, an impact with that. I would like to see them continue investing in, in the development of these young players, because this is where you get, you know, your Juan Soto's and your, you know, your young Uber prospects from is generally their international prospects because you don't get a guy signed that young otherwise. Yeah, the Dodgers are gonna outspend you two to one. You got so you gotta find ways to get more cost controlled talent to compete with them year to year. Yeah. And obviously beating them last year was huge for the Dimebacks from a mental psyche standpoint. It's like, okay, we can compete with these guys. Like they competed with them for most of the season. Yeah too going in like forget the record obviously they didn't have a winning record against the Dodgers but that was more so the case they won what five of the first eight games against the Dodgers and then they kind of just yeah. went on f- and then then they went through an 05 stretch but there were a couple close losses in that yeah so I mean yeah that's a lot of it was like the bullpen being really bad the that middle this stretch is- of games against the Dodgers it was yeah. not not pretty at all that and was the before op- we, they they figured it out but that the, the bullpen clearly figured it out in the postseason, so I mean, yeah, that's 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 promising. You're not going to be able to compete financially clearly with the with the Dodgers at this point. I think it's been it's made, like made very closer, clear with the offseason. Their opening day starter is going to make more money than the D-backs' entire rotation in 2024, probably. Which is going to be interesting because oh. let's see what we add up the salaries. Gowns at 10, and then you got Rodriguez at 14, Kelly at nine, and I think, or was it seven? I think it's seven, and then there was a buyout, which is obviously not getting exercise. Options going to get exercised. The only thing that's going to stop Kelly from getting his uh, option exercise is an injury. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of says a lot. Like you're not going to be able to, you know, the Diamondbacks are not going to ever be able to sign a guy like you know, Yamamoto on top of signing, uh, you know, a generational talent. Like that's. The only way we're going to get a generational talent is through this, you know, the international, you know, the international draft and through or international signings and, and through the draft. You said so, never, but it happened before. Ask RJ. You know, oh, well, yeah. Okay. So once Again. in a while, a guy, a guy will make his, his, his off season 
uh, home in, in the Valley and will be like, you know what? It'd be a lot easier if I could just play for the Diamondbacks. And that does happen. Okay. That is the one. The Rodriguez nice about. certainly likes that yeah. idea. So, yeah. Okay. So there is they, the Diamondbacks do have advantages. And there's also the tax advantages that uh, Arizona has over, over California. If you're, you want a lower tax rate. So that's definitely, there are, you know, that's not true. You're, you're, you're right. It's not true what I said, but uh, yeah. financially, they don't necessarily have the money to just throw around like that every offseason. They don't have $700 million to throw at Otani or $300 million to throw at Yamamoto. Yeah. And I don't think anyone likes the Diamondbacks enough to defer uh, like 90% of their salary. I think only a big market team could get away with that. Yeah. That's really, that's what I really, yeah. They need to have like a, a continuous, it's one of those things where you cannot. Uh, you can't really do that with a team like the Diamondbacks. You can do it more with like you know long, longer history team like the the Dodgers or the Yankees or or a player like whose Cubs. net worth is about the same as a Major League Baseball franchise. Yeah, that's kind of uh, yeah, it's discouraging. But you know what? We if you're if you're you know a Diamondbacks fan, you're listening to this. It, 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 I don't. I'm not discouraged at all by this offseason. And actually, I mean, they the did every single thing. They did, they did every single thing that they needed to do on their to-do list. So that they said they're going to uh, do. Uh, there was, yeah, DH you is the only thing, thing we're looking do. for, but but that's. I mean, it's pretty good off season for the Diamondbacks. I mean, all, all things said, ignore what the other teams are doing. Uh, I I give it an A. Yeah, like the Diamondbacks aren't going to be any worse in twenty four than they are in twenty five. I mean, sorry, twenty three. Well, I certainly hope they're going to be better in twenty five than twenty four. Yeah, I would hope so. But no. Uh, so we'll yeah, look the, to, the next section here, the breakout candidates. Yep. And also co- to compete with the Dodgers, D-backs are going to need a lot of young talent right now. The D-back system's kind of in a state of flux. A lot of their top prospects graduated last year. So they lost to so the farm system, lost Carol, their, their generational talent prospect is yeah. no longer graduated from top prospect to face of the franchise. And then, uh, some valuable, then they lost Brandon Fought, their top pitching prospect. He also graduated. Yeah. And certainly. And certainly finished the year stronger than it started. Those were my top two prospects entering 23. So you're going to take a hit there. They also lost Jameson and Nelson, who got their first full, who now have a full year of service, who have a year of service time under their belt now. So, yeah. No, I, I know Nelson's season didn't go great, but he. He was the live arm when the team's rotation basically disintegrated in July. Yeah, so I mean, there's yeah, there's lots of graduations. I mean, there's still some new talent. At, like I, 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 I think uh, pretty much this last draft is all breakout candidates. Yeah, usually last breakouts dra- happen last, last, first. Last two two drafts actually. Yeah, I was gonna say the dime. Most of their their nineteen and twenty prospects of consequence are already in the major leagues. That's yeah. why we're looking at the last three drafts. And of course, because, and we should also give the Dynamax player some kudos for the fact that a lot of their 19 and 20 prospect, uh, 20 draft picks are possibly making an impact on the season in 24. And, I mean, that fast, that, I mean, getting those guys that quickly in that quickly is still, is still something to be commended for. Yeah. They, they, they I would give, uh, you know, it's all a great for how the, the Diamondbacks have, you know, integrated not just their their top tier prospects in the major league, but some of the lower level ones. It's really like there's guys like I don't think uh, the average Diamondbacks fan uh, 
really had a, you know, high, high esteem for like a Kevin Ginkle, you know, or even like prospect evaluators in terms of, I was you know, say, and look at the only person who's high on Ginkle is probably me. It was, yeah, no, it was, it was like you, of a fans. Our small, our small group of, of writers who were impressed by his, him mowing down a bunch of batters at one point. That's actually like, I, I became a fan when I was watching him and he was like, just like striking out the side casually uh, in the minors. And it's uh, like more than once struck out the side. So yeah, I'm looking like at the Gink- average. That was the average recap on Snake Pit for a while uh, with Kevin Ginkle, and then Kevin okay, Ginkle well, uh, struck out the side to earn the save. Yeah, Ginkle in, uh, and we're talking about Ginkle's 2020, 2019 season, his breakthrough year had a one six two ERA yeah. in Reno after a two sixteen ERA in Jackson. Of course, a two sixteen ERA in Jackson is not necessarily it's like good. a two sixteen ERA in. Uh, Amarillo, obviously, for comparing yeah. those two things, like two sixteen is good, but not otherworldly. Versus a one six two ERA with uh, strikeouts per nine of nineteen point four in Reno. That was his I, first. That was the year he broke in. Major eye opening numbers right there. Like yeah, Ginkle pitched. pitched uh, four games in AAA, which was a mistake. Obviously, she had no business yeah. pitching down there. Yeah, but he had he faced nineteen batters, struck out eleven. Yeah, that's that's how he was sent down to Reno because the D backs decided to keep Jose Ruiz around for another month. I mean, Ginkle was down there for the minimum amount of time. Yeah, no, so he's he's a guy like that. I can see, uh, you know, like that. You have um, your sleeper prospects are the three guys that I think uh, will will do similar to Kevin Ginkle this year. Yeah, we look at. And we're looking at recent draft picks. The three the three arms I took from Dallas Baptist in the twenty three draft, I think, are going to be guys that fly through the system because they were already relievers with good, really good stuff. I believe. Yeah. Uh, so, college baseball has like a stuff plus metric. Those three guys from Dallas Baptist ranked in the top sixty. Actually, no, they had they drafted a lot of guys that ranked on that list. I think twelfth rounder Sam Knowlton was second. Obviously, didn't have the success. But they, um, I forget how many arms they put on there, but there was at least five or six. So. It's good for the D-backs to draft pitchers with impressive stuff. I think Amet just missed the cut, too, but yeah. barely missed the cut. I think Alec Baker was on the list. Zane Russell was on the list. And the numbers that uh, Amet and Russell put up against overmatched uh, 19, 20-year-olds in in uh, the California League, not, nothing short of impressive. They just mowed those guys down like yeah, it was their job. They're, they're- they're guys who I think will will fly through the system. I would be very surprised if they, you know, struggle much up until they they reach Amarillo or Reno. Uh, those are definitely like are they they're flying under the radar right now. But they're basically, I think, so, I think, I think the men and Russell both have some some of the nastiest pitches like in in the yeah. in the whole system. So those are those are definitely sleeper prospects. Will Mabry from the uh, the twenty twenty two draft, similar kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, he there. flew into Double A last year. So yeah, he's he's much closer than the other two are, but um, only because he was drafted, you know, a year ahead of him. Uh, and then you look at like guys from like like Gino Gruber is our is our our real breakout candidate uh, that we've had for a while, just just based on bat speed, uh, exit velocity, bat speed, and ability to make contact. Put those two and, things and together. contact ability. Yeah, he's got everything. He, as far as a, a hitter goes, like he, I, he, I'm very confident in his his ability to hit hit for power. Uh, he's a guy that I expect to absolutely rake in Vesalia. Uh, I don't even think, no, by, he's not, by, he's already skipped Vesalia. He's already skipped. He, he's oh, going to yeah. be in Hills. Yeah. Oh yeah. He played in Hills. Yeah, right. he's, gonna be, 
he's gonna be yeah he's so once he gets the amarillo that's really the the, the when he's I, I would expect him to put up some uh, eye-popping numbers um, i mean pretty much once he's in amarillo he's on it's gonna be only a, a matter of months before he gets to the major leagues there's not much no there's not much you can i mean you work on the plate discipline when the when you pitch in a league that's tough for you where you can't yeah. get away with certain things whereas amarillo some hitters may in reno some hitters may get away with not necessarily the right approach those are those are ballparks that build bad bad habits honestly when it comes to hitting but, yeah but not for pitching obviously it stacks the deck for pitching because uh, you're tommy, gonna fail tommy yeah. troy obviously is a guy that like uh he was just drafted didn't have a ton of time but he he should fly through the system i would think he's gonna move further up on the top 100 not necessarily he's already he's already like you yeah. said a top prospect uh but in terms of the national national rankings of like you know league wide uh, i think he's going to move up uh you know i mean he's already i think it's a decent chance he's already a top 50 guy isn't he wouldn't he be i think he i think he's oh let me see i'm not sure where he's ranked yeah you can't the top 100 list for baseball america is coming out on the 17th and it will be his top 100 comes out on the 26th so right now whatever is listed now is irrelevant let's just wait until then We'll have a reaction video to that as well. Yeah. So, but I mean, there's like, it's guys like that, that, you know, are going to, I'm fairly confident. I'm actually like, I think he's going to put up some really eye popping numbers and grab attention. Um, I'm trying to like, I really like, you know, you, you have like Ivan Melendez isn't really a guy that, you know, he needs to. We know everyone knows. Everyone knows what Melendez needs out. to do. Yeah, so that's I'm, not really like kinda, really in the conversation. I mean, you have to, if his strikeout rate drops ten plus percent, I would consider that a breakout. If it's under twenty five percent, yeah, I would. Yeah, or he he's a guy that's yeah. going to strike out twenty five to thirty percent in the major league level. If he's still striking yeah, out thirty percent and trip when the deck is stacked in his favor, as yeah. it can be, that's a red flag to me. Uh, yeah, that's obviously the thing you can forgive. I'm, you can forgive the first year in the system thing. Yeah, that's that's you know I. I didn't realize that he, I do have some hope for, for Melendez because he did have a concussion last year and, and uh, some hand issues. I think that can contribute the concussion in terms of his plate discipline and, you know, pitch recognition. Hopefully w w any lingering effects that he's had from that, that those, you know, can help him achieve that. I think that's the really the, the plus the, the, the makeup that he has. He's a, I think a it's very, more, the bat path very is more of an issue than any injuries yeah. sustained at the beginning of the year. Yeah. I just I I was not aware that he had a concussion and that that definitely yeah. like the way where he was hit and uh, that yeah, could he definitely got, he affect got, his, he got beaten in the head. Yeah, that definitely could affect his vision and and uh, pitch recognition a little bit. So I you know that's that's enough to for me to to put that up out there as a possibility. It probably isn't because he pretty much he still hit. He just struck out a little bit more. You know, two seventy with thirty homers between two levels. Yeah. But I think that it's that, just you know, least impressive. Yeah, that's the thing. So, do you have any other sleeper prospects that you think are? I mean, the one I have is Christopher Torin, but he's been top ten ranked by some people. Uh, uh, Ruben I mean, Santana. Uh, he's Ru actually pretty. Ruben, I think I. Yeah, Ruben Santana is the guy who's going to put up eye popping numbers, and that's what I was thinking of in, in Vesalia. Yeah, I think MLB actually picked Santana too. Yeah, that's who they pick. That's who they pick too, and I I totally uh, for once agree with MLB's pick. Yeah, the only reason I didn't put Santana on is because 
I feel like a prospect can't really break out in A-ball unless they just demolish the league. He like, put up Jordan Lawler numbers. Jordan Lawler 2022 numbers in Visalia would be a considered a breakout for me. Let me see what he did. And obviously, yeah, Lawler was a year older than these guys are going through. Luis, I don't think it's going to be... I think Luis is going to be a, a, your quintessential league average player. Yeah, Ruben Santana will be 19. And yeah, all three uh, of them are going to be 19 yeah. by June 1st. Okay, so he'd have to put up, if he put up, uh, he had a 142 WRC plus in the DSL. If he did that in Visalia or better, you, would you call that a breakout? I said Jordan Lawler numbers. Uh, what did Lawler do? Let's just say the middle digits of six. Okay, so he would need to do like a one a 160 or higher W. Okay. Especially yeah, for a guy I, like Torian where the power is in question for me. All I'm saying is that Ruben Santana. So yeah, if you look at Lawler, Lawler and A-Ball had hit 351, obviously on sustainable bat bit, but obviously Jordan Lawler is, was probably the best prospect in the league too. You, yeah, you, it's hard, it's hard not, the, like it, to have... It's hard to be unlucky when you're like the best, like an overwhelmingly the best player. Yeah, 165. Uh, you know, and you're like, okay, so... Okay... I'm looking at this. Jansel Luis, I mean, he's already. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, Jordan Lawler put up like 180s in the complex. Okay. Yeah. Those are. Yeah, Jordan but those Lawler. are rehab. Those are rehabs. Those are rehabs. Okay. Yeah, so like 165, that's that's doable for Santana. I don't know about. Uh, I don't think Christopher Torrin can do that. He's much more. Of a if someone puts first. up a 160 WRC plus at any level, that's a breakout. What has Christopher Torin done before? I mean, the thing with Torin is he's got a he's got one he's got uh, I think he's got arguably the best hit tool in the system, but his other yeah. tools aren't that impressive. He's got really good uh, plate that's one. I, I actually I I'd say his hit tool is is complemented pretty well with his ability to draw walk and a little bit of speed too. Um, Torin, his numbers like I would like to see. I would consider a breakout of like a one, like you know, if he can do better yeah, than what gonna... he did in the co- in the complex. He needs to to come closer to his DSL numbers for me to really call that a breakout. I mean, um, when you look at Torin's DSL numbers, I mean, basically the half the league can't pitch throw a strike to save their life. Yeah, and a guy that has any sort of play discipline's going to walk a crap ton. I would assume that he's going to repeat Visalia. Yeah, so his, I like, first, I, I, his I, first run through Vizela wasn't that great. I really that's like also his, an eighteen year old. So yeah, all three of these players are guys that I like to see just overwhelm the league, and they, I, I think they have the capability. I like all. I like Jansen Luis. I like Ruben Santana. I like Christopher Torrin. I I probably like Ruben Santana the most. Then about the same as Jansel Luis, and then Torrin's a, a tear down. Although I've heard this like rape reviews of pretty much every single person who's seen uh, Torrin play. I mean, the guy can hit. Yeah, absolutely. That's the hardest I mean, tool to develop. His fielding, now, of course, though, the guy is, can't get has, faster. Has been rave. Has had rave reviews, but we knew that when they knew that when they signed him, it's the fact that he could hit as well as he can was really weird. People I mean, were surprised. When you see guys with high walk rates, the question is: Are they doing that because they know the league can't throw a strike? The level can't throw a strike, or is it their yeah. play discipline is so good that? 
that yeah. their recognition of the strike zone is so good that it's just that. And with Toronto Perdomo, yeah. it was more the latter. I'm, you know, kind of getting into like this actually ties into this next uh, section is that like I probably actually project at least one of them to be in the top five uh, by the end of next year. Yeah, I don't think I had that in there, but obviously things will change. The guy Jack, uh, I have a top ten. You had said, yeah, you said top top five, top ten, and you know, like we're projecting. Uh, yeah, had, our forecast see, of I, it, but. Oh, I didn't have any of them in the top ten. I had Santana at six. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've seen I've seen Jansel Luis, uh, pretty highly ranked uh, by some people. I've seen Torin actually. Fangraphs really. He's like not him. on there. Torin's not on there, what? but that's because I I have him. I have Torin getting. Uh, actually, let's see what we have. I think I think well, saying, I think I should have put Torin in Harley's spot. If I think about it. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, that's one uh, I have in my top ten. I'm. Finally, uh, I've updated my prospect list, and uh, I think I've settled on an order. And uh, Torin is—he's ranked as high as top as, as five in by Fangraph. So, yeah, Fangraph um, really likes their, and I think for and then I think Rodney will be up there with them. Fangraph gave him yeah. a forty-five plus grade. Yeah, I think there were only cool. three prospects that earned better than a forty-five grade on their board. Devries is going to get the second largest signing bonus in the class. Yeah, and I forget who else. And then Rodney was three. Yeah. But and also Fangrass has the D backs system at the D back. Fangrass has the D back system at a tenth, I think, for going in. I, I would project uh, Rat Rodney to be top ten. I don't think he's going to be. In their top five, unless there's a lot of promotions. Um, oh, Emil Morales, signed by Take a Guess. Um, Dodgers. Yep. <laughs> Shot the dark. Okay, that's uh, great. I mean, I made it all. I kind of gave it away. Telegraphed that one. But the top three international prospects on the Fangrass board, signed by NL West teams. The Rice well, signed by the fun. Padres. Oh, okay. Yeah, I. I I heard about that. Fourth best prospect, Fernando Cruz going to the Cubs. And Cruz is rated higher than Imanaga, who signed with the Cubs this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Imanaga, I think, is that he's not going to like pitching in Wrigley. I really like him. Not when the wind's blowing out. I think out of all the people, like, you know, in our our circle of writers, I like like him the most, probably, but I I, I think he's going to surprise some people. Uh, Either that or get him like you guys are are all saying. He would be much better in a a bigger park that is, you know. He would have been better in San Francisco or Arizona, which is the 10th lowest park, top 10 for lowest park factor in home runs. In Chase Field's case, it's because the the D backs have a great outfield defense for one and two that can take some fence scrapers away. Yeah. Guriel can take some home runs away. He's tall. He has time to get back there. I I would have liked that as a signing. I mean, uh, the Diamondbacks haven't really been competitive in in the Asian market other than with Korea, uh, and and the, the you know the Man. the CB, CBBL. I I I recognize Taiwan as the legitimate China. So um, that's the real yeah, issue here. Human lens from there. So Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's like that, the Diamondbacks have main inroads in Taiwan. Um and they're starting decent, to D-Bucks like has they a, pre- a pretty decent uh foothold in the Asian markets. 
I will say like they've done a really they've been they've they partnered with the uh the fighters I think or what was I think it was the fighters it might have been the buffalo uh a while back of this in in terms of like this scouting and you know exchange like the whole partnership between MLB and MBB yeah. teams they had one going on I know they they regularly scout Japanese games but they really haven't uh it doesn't feel like they have a lot of uh interest in in you know in Japanese players you know through the posting system at least I mean the problem is you're competing with the Dodgers for these guys yeah I mean yeah yeah, yeah that's where we're at now so obviously uh, it's gonna be tough to compete against them where do you think the Diamondback system will rank in the uh uh, like overall uh, compared to other teams by uh, 2024. Then I think it's, I think they're going to be in, I would pick C, but they're going to be closer to 10. Uh, they're going to be closer to 10 than 20. Like I said, the three mm. Latin American prospects from the 22 class develop, maybe I can see a t- and then Rodney ends up putting up numbers in the yeah. DSL. I can see a that good, being a top 10. A good draft, actually. Like we have a nice, uh, we yeah, don't have not a high, we don't we, we don't have a high pick, but we have three solid picks in a row that are pretty you know high level. That uh, I think if if they draft well in this draft, this is this draft would cement that it would take that and a really good draft for it to be in the top five. I don't see that necessarily happening. I think you're right, probably uh, in the middle tier. Uh, you know, literally yeah, you could, like right in the middle. It could be like the it could be like the Mariners last year where they or Colt Emerson fell to their laps at twenty two. Yeah, something like that can always happen. So something like that can uh, always happen. Now, of course, the D backs won't have as much money as the Mariners did a year ago because their first picks at twenty nine. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but then they the have, Mariners at 20, 22, 29, 30, I think is what they had. D backs have twenty nine, thirty one, and thirty five. Yeah, so that's a nice little little segment right before the, the second round that I think that they can take advantage of, especially if some players fall. Uh, this I know this is not that impressive or deep of a draft. I think it was I, I forget the where it's lacking, but the reason the twenty three draft was so deep was because the twenty draft was only five rounds. Yeah. So yeah. like a lot of call. A lot of those guys that were drafted early might not have made it to school if the 2020 draft was normal. Evan Carter oh, yeah. certainly would not have been the biggest surprise in that draft. So this is, Evan Carter this would have really like taken the, with the Rangers' really the first, first round pick. This is the first normal draft in probably, yeah, since the pan, since 2019. So um, it'll be interesting. I think that we, they will get, like, you know, as long as the team has done pretty well the last couple of years with. Uh, they're drafting. We have a new. We have a new uh, guy. We poached from. We poached someone from the Dodgers. I know that Sean Larkin, but he's in player development, and that's not. Uh, well, player development works with the scouting department. Yeah, this player development does not make picks. Okay. Well, I know he does have a little bit of, of feedback on it, but I think having some impressive eyes does help. Yeah, but most uh, of the scouting staff from here was there in nineteen when they had four picks in the top thirty-four. Okay. I don't. Yeah. So I mean, it's it should be something that. Uh, I think I think that you know that this that I mean it's good first of all to get these two signing you know some relatively highly ranked international uh, signings and then a good draft along with breakouts from like Hurley uh, Groover I mean it's really like pretty much everyone in the twenty twenty three draft has has some decent breakout potential uh, other than Troy who's already you know top one hundred like you said 
Um, Troy's going to be tough. I, I would be surprised Troy's not a top 50 prospect when these lists come out in the next couple weeks. I, yeah, he's got a very, be, high, he's almost major league ready now. Yeah. Question is, can he hit a question will be how he hits a breaking ball. Yeah. The, the, uh, Tommy Troy is a player that I expect that if he uh, flies, like flies through the system, like I think he will, he will be on the major league roster before he's allowed to be a top 10 prospect. I mean, Tommy Troy has a big 2024 season. He's a top 10. He's probably gonna be a top 10 prospect anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's not going mean, to lose prospects. Officially, uh, it, yeah, that's a lot of things that have to go bad for that to happen. But he's one of those players that could, like, you know, that does happen occasionally where guys just fly through the system. And they're like, oh, he would like, I mean, Brandon Fox kind of did that. Goldschmidt. No, Fox was rated highly entering 23, though. Yeah, it's Mark Goldie. You're right. Um, I'm thinking of Paul Goldschmidt or Jake Lamb. Yeah, those are those are like, two guys that would that, that definitely Brandon Webb actually is a guy who uh, flew through the system towards like you know well, Brandon right Webb flew through the up. system before prospects were. That yeah. was back in an era where Baseball America was the only prospect evaluator. It was it was Baseball America, John Sickles, and Prospectus. That's yeah, it. That was there that's was in the, the Goldie era. This is in the the early years, and then it was people like me who were like, "Hey, this guy is really good. He he's going to be good." That's pretty much you know. That's how I got into this. So yeah, there, there was no prospect evaluations back then, but he, he yeah. definitely would be like a, a top 10 prospect. Now, now with fan graphs around, you can see how they, you yeah. have a better idea of how these guys compare to the league. There's a little bit more. Now, obviously their WRC plus metric isn't as fine tuned as their major as the major league version, but it's, uh, it makes it a better idea. A lot easier now. Yes. It makes evaluation much better now. Like so for example, Cal, putting up a 166 in double a is like, okay, this guy's our fra- probably going to be, it was just validation of what we've heard about him in the past. Yeah, well, Dan Ugla, actually, I was, I was trying to compare him with, uh, that was my, my most recent article that I just put out to, uh, yesterday, uh, on AZ snake, Fit. you should go read it on why Davidson De Los Santos isn't, is probably not the next Dan Ugla. And, uh, Dan Ugla had a fantastic year in the Southern league that, you know, it, has, I would imagine the WRC plus for that is like at least 150, if not more. The Southern League and uh, I don't have that data, unfortunately. I don't have that data either. And and where they were playing, I know was a heavy pitchers park, and the, the way that Southern, Southern League, League was structured was structured at the time, it was basically all pitchers parks. So, um, I would imagine so- Dan Ugla's WRC plus in that would have been super high, and I have no yeah. idea. How to, how to, so yeah, how if you look re- at compare the two, so if you look at Ugly's t- 2005 season, hit 297, 378, 502. So he had an 880 OPS plus in a pitcher friendly league with 21 homers. Yeah, imagine if <laughs> I was going to say Corbin Carroll put up those numbers. Like, wait, he did. Yeah, he did. So, <laughs> um, but and yeah, then in the fall the league thing. after that, hit 304 with a 988 OPS with seven home runs. That was in Peoria, by the way. That was when it was. Peoria's uh he was still in the D-back system. No, no, I'm saying that was that yeah. was who we sent in the fall league back then. So it was a different yeah. it wasn't the it wasn't Scottsdale. It was uh Peoria back then. And I uh, it, it, yeah, those are impressive numbers. And you have really don't you have no context of oh hey, these are in pitchers park. Those are really, really, really solid ni- numbers for that for that league. I got I got a trivia question for you. Future Diamondbacks on that uh Peoria team. Let's see if you can name them. 
2000. It was at least eight. Wait, it was 2005? 2005. Future Dimex on here. Justin Upton? Nope. Uh, Upton wasn't even a member of the Dimebacks back then. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't yet. Okay. Uh, he signed before Connor, 2006 season. Though. Connor Jackson, Carlos Quinn? Nope. nope. Uh, I'll give ooh, you a I hint. I have no idea. There are no... I don't think there's really... Future Dimebacks. Not guys that were Future. in the system at the time. Future Diamondbacks. I have no idea. Yeah. Chris Iannetta. Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Adam Jones. Oh. Wow, yeah, that's, that's, those are some names. That's that's funny. Jeff Salazar. Who? <laughs> I do not Craig remember. Craig Breslow. I don't remember either of them playing for He the was back. the fourth outfield in the 07 team. I don't remember that at all. Like I'm Yeah, Salazar was on the 2007-2008 D-backs. I don't remember him at all. That's weird. Okay, so Craig Breslow. He's a pitcher, right? Yeah, we're now in pitchers. Dana Evelyn. Dana Evelyn, I do remember. I do remember Dana He was actually a member of the Dimeback system back then. Yeah, I do remember. He was he was uh, I think one of the the higher ranking pitchers of her of that that prospect time frame. But Adam yeah, Lewin, Adam Lewin, is one appearance as a D back. I think that's a that's a lot of random guys that ended up with the Diamondbacks. That's weird. Yeah, and uh, I did not even, I, was also on that team. Yeah, that's uh, the trivia. There's another. Yeah, is Dan Uncle of the Diamondbacks try to take him in? their own player in the rule five draft because uh, that would have been interesting. They didn't, they, they didn't know he was eligible eligible for the, the rule five. It, it was like last minute. Josh Burns was just hired as the GM, uh, like two weeks before the like, deadline. Like two weeks beforehand. Uh, and, uh, the Diamondbacks were basically just like last minute made aware. Like, Oh yeah, he's, he's eligible. And they're like, okay, can we take him then? And they're like, no, you can't. And then that's how Dan Uglo was taken by the Marlins. Like, honestly, uh, I had this confirmed through, like, I did the research to confirm it. And that's very true. It's, it's an it's a interesting story. So, um, yeah, go go read my article on Snake Pit about Dan Uglo and then why Davison De Los Santos will probably be back in the farm system this time. That, you know, yeah, but he might not be top 20 when he returns. Probably not. He'll probably, no. he'll probably be outside of it if, if, if you know. He has a bad spring, especially. I, I would I'd rank him very low. I could see a situation where the Guardians work out a trade. That's what I think is most likely, actually. I don't see that. Obviously, I think obviously I think that was brought up when we Yeah. In our group text where do you where, where do you even play him? That's the thing. Like they already have every place where you would play Davis and De Los Santos. They already have a player that's established. Their face of the franchise is their third third base. Their MVP candidates playing third. First yeah. base is a they have Josh Naylor at first base, I think. And the other Naylor. Who's got more uh no, Bo's a catcher. Yeah. And I think the third Naylor brother got drafted by the A's last year. Oh, okay. But I mean there's really no place to play him. And uh he I guess he suggested that like, oh hey, I'll play the I'll try playing the outfield. It's like you're gonna put your rule five draft uh pick and, and who's like who's jumping D? from 
from double A and struggling in double A, like an 88 uh, WRZ plus in Amarillo is. And even his hot streak has poor plate discipline numbers. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a guy that I, I, uh, yeah, he wouldn't even be in my, my top 15 right now. So. um, All right. So looking at Cleveland's 2023 lineup, they're obviously they lost Josh Bell. So they're probably looking for a DH. They don't really necessarily yeah. have a DH option on their roster. Yeah, there's not much one. there. <laughs> but, Oof. but outside of Ramirez, who would you add to this D-backs lineup? No one. That's the, the maybe Naylor. I mean, that's your okay. DH. But then again, D-backs don't necessarily need a, a DH for righties. Yeah, that's the thing. Is is that unless they are I really would, sour on McCarthy, that would be. I would imagine. If they're gonna trade uh, De Los Santos, if they, if they work out a trade for De Los Santos, they'll probably get some pitching back or you know a flyer. It's not gonna be anything pick. of consequence. Probably if someone not, that's not gonna be on the top cash. thirty list. If not cash, yeah, it'll probably be someone. I don't think the D backs will give up on De Los Santos for just cash. Yeah, I don't see them doing that either. Um, that's I forgot someone suggested someone suggested that to me. I don't think that's likely. Um, I think they're gonna get a player return if it's anyone. Yeah, and we'll we'll have the news about that. So, uh, yeah, and he's probably and based on what Hazen said, he's got, he would repeat double A if he was back in the system. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's my that's my point. It's like if the team is not confident that he's going to be like they're not even promoting him to triple A. I wouldn't promote him to triple A, let alone uh, have him jump to the major leagues. And this it's just very unlikely that he's going to make that jump, especially if it involves him playing in the like a left field or something. This doesn't make any sense to me. So he's a guy I expect to be back to be back, you know, with dying backs if not if they don't trade. Yeah, the only way he leaves Dynamax, I think, is a trade. Yeah, I, I agree. That's really that's probably the most likely, you know, outcome for him to not come back. All right. So anyways, thank you everyone for watching. If you enjoyed the content, like I said we covered the Dimebacks from the DSL all the way to the major leagues. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a like. As we said at the top of the show, comment down below. Who you th- which prospect do you think will have the biggest impact on the D-backs 2024 season after Jordan Lawler? There are plenty of candidates to discuss. In the next episode, we're going to talk about some of the minor league signings, the backup catcher position between Tucker Barnhart and Jose Herrera. The shorts uh, we kind of went into we were gonna we kind of went into the shortstop job, so we'll ignore that. And then maybe we'll put it together roster construction and additionally we will also react to the top 100 lists from baseball america and mlb because those lists are important in terms of prospect promotion incentive although the dimebacks don't necessarily have a prospect that might uh trigger that unless jordan lawler has a monster spring yeah i don't that, that seems that that doesn't seem likely yeah we'll have all the news like subscribe thanks for watching everyone